Welcome to the MBP, the Micah Brown podcast, where I have the privilege of connecting you, my listeners, my audience, my friends with interesting people in an intentional way. I do that through two facets. One is I I know that right now we, we tend to miss out on the relational aspect of being fellow human beings. A lot of times we'll address other people based on the statistics that they're mentioning or the facts that they're mentioning and miss the whole point is that we're two human beings interacting. So the way I approach that is through connecting with my guests first in a personal way. What obstacles have they overcome? What is their background like? What's their family like? What personal things are they engaged in right now so that you can better connect with them, relate with them, and understand where they're coming from? Maybe you have something in common. Who knows? We won't know until we ask, right? And then the second aspect of that is by getting into what interesting things are they doing? That could be in their professional life. That could be in something that they're just involved with outside of their typical nine to five job. Um, It could be any number of things. Maybe it's just something on the public stage. Nonetheless, those are the two sides of the same coin that make up a person. And I want to get into knowing more about each side of uh, that, that person that I get to have on the show, get to interview. I really appreciate you listening right now. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any great interviews that I have upcoming. And in addition to that, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast. If you want to continue to do so, you can, I'm going to have other ways coming up soon, but for now, by getting your free trial through audibletrial.com forward slash MBP, not only will you be supporting the podcast, but that gives you an easy opportunity to look up some of the books that we've mentioned on previous episodes, maybe some of the guests have mentioned, and listen to those for free for 30 days. I would strongly recommend you keep it because it's actually a really great resource to have um, anytime that you're driving or just doing something, maybe lawn care outside of your own home. Who knows what it is? But it's a great resource to have. So again, audibletrial.com forward slash MBP. And anytime you sign up for a free new account, that will support the podcast. So I thank you in advance for that. Finally, to some very specific people who have supported this podcast already. First, to Alvin Brown, who has helped set up this podcast, get it off the ground, get it going, and continues to support me behind the scenes. Second would be to the man, the myth, the legend who has created our music that we now use on this show, Isaiah Cruz. Phenomenal musician, even more phenomenal human being. And last but not least, I want to thank you to the sponsorship that Thelma's Treats has offered to the Micah Brown podcast. Guys, listen, here's the thing. Here's how this went down. I saw an ice cream sandwich and I thought that looks very delicious and it's super hot here in Austin, Texas. So what did I do? Like a normal sane human being, I bought the ice cream sandwich, ate it before I even made it to my car. I thought that's amazing. I need more of that in my life reached out to Thelma's and just said, hey, y'all make a fantastic product. I want more. Is there anything I can do to help you guys out? They said, just get the word out. I can't tell you how easy it is for me to tell you about Thelma's treats. If you need a good ice cream sandwich, if your kids need a good ice cream sandwich, if it's way too hot outside and you just need something to put a smile on your face, get yourself an ice cream sandwich. Treat yourself, as they say on Parks and Rec. That's all I got. Enjoy. Mike Yates has 10 plus years of experience as an award-winning teacher who is a team leader at Alpha 
an original co-founder and the COO of the Guide app, and even has spoken for a TED Talk, I believe two. He has used adaptive software to promote innovative education rather than direct teaching and seeks to renovate the outdated education system by using technology to teach adaptive life skills to students. Whether it's a student putting on a magic show to learn public speaking and performance art, or a student building a business from scratch via flipping items on eBay, Mike is cultivating resilient future, cultivating a resilient future workforce. He is tackling an old system that is difficult to change, but he's having uh, successes that are bettering our kids for the future. So with that, it is my pleasure as a fellow educator to have him on the show. Please welcome Mike Yates. Mike, I really appreciate you being on the Micah Brown podcast today. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. As a fellow educator, uh, I only taught for five years, so I definitely don't have your tenure, but... uh, as a fellow educator, I always have a soft spot in my heart for other teachers. Yeah, man, it's a, it is, it's an interesting field. It's a, it's a, it's a great field of work, but it's, it's definitely like, like a grueling field. Like when, when I hear that people have left, uh, I don't even get sad. I'm all, I almost get happy. I'm always happy. For them. Like, <laughs> great. <laughs> I will say doing, doing the research, you know, just kind of reading up from your website, um, interviews that you've been a part of videos, that sort of thing which I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to channel my inner Tim Ferriss when I research uh, my guests. But uh, when I was researching all of that, I was like, you know, if I ever got back into teaching, I, I would only go work with Mike Gates. Like I, I wouldn't go back to any other like normal district. Cause now that I've seen this, this is what I feel like I was always trying to pursue and trying to achieve. But because the overarching system uh, was still present, I couldn't, you know, break out of that. Uh, so I really, we'll get into some of those details in a little bit for the people that are listening. We'll get into those details of what the heck I'm even talking about, but Mike knows. And, uh, so I really appreciate you being on here, man. I'd love to, yeah, man, I'd love to start with, uh, just some background as much or as little as you want to share. Um, you know, take it as far back as you want to and hopefully end where you are today, today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm from originally from Houston, Texas. Um, I grew up in a single parent home with a mother who was just uh, like, she always had this internal sense of, of hustle. And, and I, and I've, I've gotten that from her. Uh, my mom was, a, I guess is, she's been a teacher my whole life. She's worked in education. And um, actually when I was like young, she would always tell me like, never, ever go into education. Do not be a teacher. Um, she's like it doesn't pay enough. <laughs> I've heard that from many parents who are teachers. They're like, I swore to my child, I will disown you if you become a teacher. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Like, and uh, and so I like, you know, defied my mother and went into education. Um, but you know, I, I grew up with this very healthy like cynicism for school. Um, I I kind of always believed that people weren't telling me the, the they weren't giving me the real. Like, uh, I believed at a very young age that adults told kids things to keep them quiet and like in order. Um, and, and that was based on the fact, like when I was young, my mother didn't tell me the, you know, for better or for worse, like she, she didn't tell me the, the like normal lies you tell your kids. Like I didn't, I didn't believe in Santa Claus. Like I knew that my mom bought presents for me. 
And as a result, I was like, very spoiler thankful. alert, man, you got to give a warning before you say things like that. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I didn't, but yeah, I didn't have like, but I didn't, you know, like I didn't believe in any of that stuff. And I, I, you know, I, I, I sort of grew up with this, um, and part of me regrets it, but I, and I don't want that for my kids, but I, I grew up sort of seeing things for what they were. And so I, you know, I, I, I felt like, you know, teachers were always lying to me. Um, by the time I, I reached like middle school, I, I started to really hate school. I, I, I thought it was a waste of time. Um, I, you know, I would hear teachers say things like, oh, when you get to the eighth grade, your teachers are not going to care. They're going to, they're going to want you to work really hard and do this. And I thought, well, if the teacher doesn't care. Why should I care either? Right. You know, it just didn't, those, those things like disillusioned me. They didn't, they didn't work for me. Um, I found myself um, around these teachers that really like deeply cared for kids, like a bunch of them on the same faculty, which is very, very rare. Now that I work in education, I know that what happened during those years, very, very special, very, very rare. Um, and so I saw a sort of a different side of, of the relationship that a teacher could build. And that was in high school, um, you said? I, yep, in high school. Um, and it, it gave me this curiosity for like, like what it would be like to be on the other side of the school thing. Like, what would it be like if I were a teacher? Um, and I had actually my favorite teacher ever. Um, he, he told me like, he was like, you should consider education as a, as a career path. And I said, never. Um, so I went to college <laughs> because, you know, like you were supposed to go to college. Like that's what everybody, you know, that's what you're supposed right. to do. Right. That's the conveyor and, belt. Uh, you got to stay on it. Right. Exactly. Like I, I, I was at the last stop of the conveyor belt and I went to college and, um, my, the very first thing that I did was I, I was determined not to have a regular job. So I started looking for opportunities on campus that were not like fast food. I didn't want to work in retail because I knew I was like bad at that. Um, so I found a, a, a job teaching a music and poetry program to this juvenile detention center. And um, I, I've always loved poetry. I, I write poetry, I perform poetry. And so I go into this juvenile detention center and I said to myself, if I can teach these kids, I'm gonna do this for a long time. Then I can teach anybody. Um, and I had a blast. Like I had a really good time, like playing basketball. That's um, cool. You know, like writing songs, writing poems with these kids. And and every now and then I would forget that like these kids were locked up. And more specifically, this was the last stop juvenile detention center, which meant that like when they were done there, they're going to real real prison. Yeah. So, I mean, like this this if, if there's any hopeless teaching situation, is this one? Um, but. I saw smiles and like jokes and, and, and I heard like dreams and aspirations and like, you know, when it became real to me, one of my favorite kids um, was about to leave the, the juvenile center and go to prison. And he was not going to get out of prison until he was 27. So he had nine more years. And, and he, he said, he said, Mike, I'm going to write every day. He said, every day, for nine years and he's like when i get out i'm gonna come find you and we're gonna we're gonna perform poetry together 
and I haven't heard from him, but I, I, I'd like to think that he's out somewhere and that he, you know, and that, that I impacted his life. Yeah. And, but that's when I saw like education can be transformational. Um, definitely. So, yeah. So I decided like, let's make this a career and ended up in a traditional classroom. Um, I, I then realized like I'm contributing to the very system that I hated. Um, and I hated working in a traditional school, the things that I saw, um, the way that veteran teachers talked about kids oh, like, it made me very uncomfortable. Man, I could get on a soapbox about that. Right. Like, yeah, you, you know, like you, you have these teachers yeah. where like everybody's supposed to care and you go in the teacher's lounge and you're hearing like all the worst things about a kid. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, even, even sometimes I, I, in the hallway with kids walking by that one got under my right. skin. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so long story short, I started, I, I, I set out to start my own school. I, I decided like the only school that I'm going to be happy at is one that I start. Um, I had taught in public, private, and charter school, and I, I saw the pitfalls of all of them, and then I realized that it didn't matter what designation you gave it. It was all traditional school. It was all the industrial conveyor belt school system. Um, so in the process of trying to start my own school, I came across this little school in Austin that at the time was called Emergent Academy. And we've since rebranded and are called Alpha. And that's where I am now. I work at Alpha um, during the day. And then I, you know, I have a podcast and, and I do a lot of other stuff on the side. Like I'm trying to build a school reinvention lab in partnership with Teach for America and the city of Austin and Austin ISD. Um, because I, I want to see the needle move. Like I, I um, am at a point where I'm done with the small. Like I, I'm done with the incremental changes. And I want to start seeing like transformational movement. And, and so yeah. that's, that's where I'm at. Dang, man. I love that. Uh, especially kind of that final straw of you're like, you know what? Bump this. I'm tired of the tiny little changes. Let's make it all happen at once. You know? Yeah. And it, I think because you've been focused on previously, you know, the, okay, little steps here and there kind of thing. I think that now you've, positioned yourself well enough that you can push for that overarching change and it actually gets traction yeah yeah i think so thank you yeah man how did you uh i know you're you're married you got kids how did you and your yeah. wife meet man uh so we met actually kind of like a movie um oh bring so it on I, let's do yeah. this <laughs> well, yeah Dude, it's it's a crazy story i i um so when I got to college, I avoided uh, these crazy people, uh, people that I thought were crazy from this campus ministry called Every Nation Campus Ministry. Oh, boy, I better um, know some of these crazy people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they you are certifiably crazy. <laughs> right. Like, I was like, I'm trying to get away from these people. And eventually my best friend, who we went to college together, he started going to the meetings. And I was like, dang, this oh, no. is going to be really hard to like lie about my schedule so that I can miss most of the time. Like most of the time when I met them, I was like, Oh, like me and my friend Brett, like we have to go. But now Brett was like a part of the group. So, uh, I'll never Saboteur. forget. This. He texted me. Yeah. Like he texted me and asked me to come to one of their meetings. And I said, you know what, man, like I am not really interested and I'm walking into my dorm room or in my, 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 my resident hall at the time texting him. And I look up 
and he's standing in front of the like movie theater. Like oh, there was no. like a little like theater in the dorm, and that's where they were meeting that night. And I was like, oh, delete, 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 delete. I cannot run. <laughs> I was like, hey, man. <laughs> I was just about to text you. I'm coming tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy yeah, meeting you like, here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went in there and I I saw like people my age, like young people, you know. And I I had grown up in the church. I I grew up going to the biggest church in America. I grew up at Lakewood Church. Um, and so I've you heard know of that one. when you grow up there, yeah. <laughs> when you grow up there, it's very easy to. Uh, to be in love with lights and uh, the production and not know Jesus. And that was me, right? Like I was, I was, at, you know, I was in high school. I was at church five days out of the week. I, you know, I preached my first sermon at 17, but I didn't really know Jesus. Like, hmm. um, and I, and I definitely wasn't living for him in college. Um, but my, my sophomore year, I, I couldn't run anymore. And those people from this ministry just wrapped their arms around me and, were patient with me and loved me through my arrogance and all, all, all that. Right. And, and, and loved me through my sexual sin and all of that. So I, I was convinced at one point, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go into, go into the full-time ministry. Um, but they invited me to this thing called campus harvest, which is a big conference. And not only was I invited to this conference, but people found out that I did poetry. And I always tell people, if you, if you go to a church, if you know church people, don't tell them you're good at anything because yep. they will ask you to do it over and over. Like, and so this was my first, like, I had done a, I had done this poem on campus. They were like, Oh my gosh, you should do this at our college camp, our college, like, uh, conference. So I, I, I go, the thing is in Austin. So it's close to where I was. Um, and, uh, before the, like before the worship service where I was supposed to lead off with this poem, uh, there was this girl from from Dallas, from Southern Methodist University, uh, and they asked her to give her testimony. And she, like, dude, she walked up on that stage, and I lit I'm not joking, like, and I'm not exaggerating either. Shadrick Bell is my witness. I was sitting next to him. I looked up, and I prayed out loud. I was like, God, what do I have to do to get a woman like that? And off to all, text the him only after thing this I heard... <laughs> Yeah, ask him. Like, he was sitting right next to me, and he literally was like, focus. <laughs> All I heard, like, I, I heard Hello, God bro. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and all I heard was God was like, follow me. And I was like, okay, if that's what it takes, I'm all in on this thing. Like, let's go. I don't know what it takes. So I perform my poem that night, you know, and it's good. You know, I've, I've cooled down. I haven't seen this girl. Um, and then the next time I see her, she's baptizing people, like as a part of the campus. Like, and I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna stay focused. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna talk to her. Whatever. Um, well, I uh, I end up going on a mission trip. I go to Columbia. Everybody in Columbia is like, you need to come visit Nashville. Tons of every nation people in Nashville. So I'm like, cool, I'll go visit Nashville. Late, I get back from Columbia. I'm getting ready to drive to Nashville. And I get into this massive car accident where I almost die. Like, oh, should have died. Like, God saved my life. Like, I walked out of the car accident without a scratch on me. Um, and, like, pe like, 
people were like, dude, you should be dead. And I was like, I know, but I'm not. So praise God. Um, and I remember thinking like, like, I was like, dang, like I was supposed to go to Nashville. That's all. I was sitting on my wrecked car. And as the tow truck guy is like lifting the car onto his, his, his flatbed, I, I just prayed. I was like, God, get me to Nashville. The next day I'm at work and the pastor of our church and Shadrick, they're on Facebook. They're like, Hey, we're going to Nashville and we need somebody to come help take care of Peter's daughter. And I was like, dude, I'm supposed to go to Nashville. I'll go. Like, I will watch your kid to go to Nashville. So we drove to Nashville like the next week. Um, That's and crazy. while, <laughs> yeah, like we're there and I, like halfway there, I'm like, oh, guys, what are we going for? And Peter's like, oh, I have to go speak at the School of Ministry because at Every Nation, we have the School of Ministry in Nashville. And I'm like, great. Um, I go into the class and the girl from the stage, she's there. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is why I was supposed to come to Nashville. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. <it's> like, <laughs> Because this is like that girl's here. Um, and Shadrick, it's, it's like, like clockwork. He's like, dude, don't even look at her. Like, let's go sit on the other side of the room. <laughs> so we do that. Um, it's his birthday. So we go eat at this restaurant. The whole class, he invites their whole class. Because we have people from our ministry that are in this class. Um, and I am like trying to do the good Christian thing and like kind of avoid this girl. Um, yeah, naturally. Yeah, but I'm like mesmerized by her. It was like I was like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so we end up sitting at the same table. My friend, who is part of the campus ministry at Texas State, she's there, and and two other people are there. And somehow everybody starts talking about campus harvest. And she, the first thing she says is, "Oh my gosh, do you guys remember that guy that did poetry?" He was so good. And she said, I was watching him and I was like, I'm going to marry that guy. Uh-oh. And I, I, I remember thinking in my head, I was like, this is it. Everybody at the table <laughs> is smiling. And she's like, what? My friend Chris says, well, I guess this is your husband. <laughs> and that was like, yeah, that was the first time we met. And you know i guess the rest the rest really is history right? like we uh we hung out that night and uh we you know like afterwards like you know we we met at other events and, and stuff and started talking and then you know the rest is history <laughs> now we're married and have four kids and now shag can't say anything <laughs> right, right. yeah now shag can't, can't tell me to look away <laughs> exactly he'd be like boy i'm staring every day all day Right. Watch out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I know Shad too, he'd probably say something like real quiet under his breath that's like partially sarcastic, <laughs> but also not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Man, well, that's a that's a really cool story. We uh Elizabeth and I have, you know, our own story, an interesting story, but it's it's not quite that like there's no other way this should have happened and this is absolutely right. perfect. Like that's insane. Um in a good way definitely a compliment yeah uh, i i love with uh with this with my interviews and, and on this show i like to ask a very particular question um and you can give me one multiple whatever you feel like but 
I'd love to know what obstacles or events in your life have most shaped your character or just who you are as a person and how. Um, I think there's, there, there's, there's two, two that come to mind. So uh, when, when my wife and I were engaged, we, we went into like deep isolation um, and, and we ended up like, we ended up getting pregnant before we got married. And uh, I just remembered uh, thinking like when I talked to the pastor of our church at the time, um, he did the, the thing that was, it was the oddest thing to me. It was like, we met up and I, I told him and he, I was expecting him to be like, really, really disappointed. And I was expecting to feel a lot of shame. And he goes, he just says, okay, well, I think you like, you need to get married. Like, that's one thing. But the second thing is like, like, do I get to consider myself family? It's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> like, like, this is how I'm supposed to go. And, and he said, look, man, like, you just have an opportunity to, to really like live out what it is to feel the grace of God. And, uh, and that, that was one of the most profound lessons that I've learned in my life is because I had to really understand like what grace was. And, and like, here's this, this, like this beautiful story that God ordained for my wife and I to be together. And, and like, we, we sinned, right? Like we, we walked outside of God's plan for us. I don't even know if that's the right theological way to say that. I'll ask your brother. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And you'll respond uh, with a thesis on why yeah. you're correct or wrong, <laughs> one or the other. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like we had this opportunity, and 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 God, God showed up um, in our, in our life, and we had this beautiful wedding, and and, and it was this amazing start to the story. Um, but what what really tripped me out is is that like one day I was praying and God was like, I'm going to multiply. And he was like, this is not going to be the only child you have. Um, and, and that our first child was in the NICU for six months. He was born at 25 weeks. Oh, wow. And and it was just very, just very hard. Right. Like, but it was a season where God kept telling me things like, I'm going to bless your family. Um, and I was like, well, I don't see it. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm going to multiply. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I didn't understand until years later where, you know, there was just like this tap on the shoulder and God was like, this is the grace that I bring, that, that I brought to your life. Like from that moment, you know, six years ago. Um, and so that, that's number one. That's cool. Number two is like, is, is learning about uh, like what, you know, what most people think is serendipity, but I, I think is the direction of, of, of God, right? It is, uh, you know, I found myself in a school situation that I hated. Uh, I was, I was at this private school in Austin, um, that I, I know purposely leave the name out. Um, but there was, uh, there were some bad, bad things happening in the school. Um, or like there was like heavy drug use. Um, and the head of school's son was involved in this drug use and was being protected by her. Um, and it, it was very, then there was very odd things happening around race. Um, and I, I built some of the philosophy that I stand on today um, around education and school in that moment, because I had a choice to do the safe thing and, 
and not say anything. Long story short, I, I had a student that was uh, in the wake of like the Colin Kaepernick protest. He decided that yeah. he was going to protest the Pledge of Allegiance by not standing uh, during the pledge. Um, he was in my class every day when, when the pledge happened. So he basically was like, and he was one of a, few, a handful of black students at the school. So he was like, hey, I'm thinking about not standing as a protest. He's like, what do you think? And I said, let's see how it goes. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. it's technically your right to stand or sit for the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, you're, you're definitely not, not obligated to. Um, and then he said one of the most profound things I've ever heard a student say, he was a freshman in high school, and he said, sometimes I think people's allegiance to the flag uh, outweighs their allegiance to Christ. And he was like, I, he's like, I have more reverence for Christ than the flag. And I was like, that, that will sting when lots of people hear it, but it is true. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so I supported him in it. I, I, I let him, I let him do it. Um, I, I let him use this as a learning and a teaching moment. Um, and, you know, he and I talked about like, you know, what are you accomplishing? What are you not accomplishing? But administration and parents were really upset. And they met with me and basically said, you need to get this kid to stand. And I said, no, I'm not. And I told them, yeah. I told them like a lot of the traditions that your school celebrates are racist. Um, th there's a lot of racism in the hallway. There are a lot of things that happen here that are not okay. And so then I chose to be very, very outspoken and blunt, um, both like purposely on social media and within the school. And it got to the point to where the school essentially paid me to go away. Um, they they yeah. knew that they couldn't fire me um, because I, I, I was one of the best teachers in the school, like, from the, like from their evaluative standards, I was one of their top teachers. Um, they, they, so there was, there was no grounds to fire me because nothing that I was doing was wrong, but they did, they did not want the pressure. So they literally had a meeting with me where they basically said, we don't like what you're saying. So we're going to keep you on payroll until the, the end of the year, until the end of your contract, but you don't have to come back to work. And I was like, awesome. That's right? like, nuts. like, yeah, you know, I had already chosen paid it. vacation. So, like, I, yeah, like, like I had already gotten another job at another school. I already told them that, like, look, I'm out. I like, you can't, you even if you matched the salary, even if you exceeded the salary, I wouldn't stay here because I can't, I can't live with being a part of the system. So they knew that I was already not coming back, and essentially, I was like paid to go away. Um, Damn. and. The, the real lesson was actually not to speak up in the midst of, like, I think that, like, having the courage to speak up, like, in the middle of it, like, that's one thing. The real lesson is, is actually that I was silent afterwards. Um, mm. I had this, like, I, I had this inclination, like, as soon as, as soon as I had that meeting, I was like, I should go to the Austin American Statesman, like, I should alert the news, I should to yeah. take down this like bastion of bad doing. And I decided after my wife told me to leave it alone and I felt like God said, look, I got this situation, walk away. I'm going to, and you know, and then I ended up at alpha where I am now at a school where I really love. Um, and since then, these started to happen like at the school, uh, the truth has started to come out. You know, one of their school leaders was like just on 
flooded from the school for like five years. Right? You just like, broke up a little bit right there. What what happened with one of the school leaders? Oh, sorry. One of the school leaders, sorry. They had, they had been like stealing money from the school for like five years, you know. Goodness and, gracious. Right. And, and so I started to find these and I was like, oh, this is like, like, this is what it means to like, let God, like, let God have his vengeance. And God's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> like, you're still waiting on closure from this. He's like, that's not the, that's not what you're supposed to learn. Well, this summer, after the George, George Floyd situation and the Breonna Taylor situation, the protests were at their height. I got a call from a person from that school that I, I really loved working with and I, uh, I respect, present tense, respect this guy, um, like tremendously. And, and I've always had a lot of affection for this guy. And he called me in tears um, and said, look, man, like I've been ready to pick up the phone every day since you left. And, and that was two years ago. It's like wow. every day I've been wanting to call you and tell you that I am, I am sorry for the way that things happened at the school because it was wrong and I didn't say anything. And, and that was this moment where I, I understood like what forgiveness meant and, and, and like what it means to let God fight your battle is it, it, it's the inner work, right? Like it's, it's not the outward things that you see like, Oh, this school is doing terribly. Like, that's not what you want to see. You want to see people's heart change. And, and so like that, 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 that's actually led me to start doing some of the work that I'm doing, even in education to say like protesting is cool. I've done that before. I believe in that, but I believe that none of these legislative changes that we're asking for are going to help anything because we have to go after people's hearts. Right. So that is long, yeah. but that is. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a crazy story. Actually, uh, I, I know the school that you're, you're talking about, um, but I too will leave that off the record for now. Um, but yeah. something, something you may not know, I actually grew up in a private school uh, from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, uh, homeschooled for like half a year, couldn't stand it, I'm too social. And then I went to <laughs> uh, Texas A&M, very large public school. Uh, and right. when, when you started mentioning, you know, private school having drug issues, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because I've, I've argued a few times with parents who say, well, you've taught in public schools and you went to private school. Which one do you think we should send our kids to? And I just <laughs> tell them the pros and cons of both. Uh, and I say, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to choose right. for you. I don't need that on my conscience. Uh, but yeah. I, I feel like there's almost this like, and you of all people will understand what I mean by this, but it's like an overcompensation of the kids saying, well, I could probably make it in public school. So I'm going to do this to prove that I'm cool enough to be in a public school when they're they're too immature and i was too immature to like acknowledge no that actually doesn't always happen in public schools like public school kids are actually pretty chill you just think Mm -hmm. that they're some sort of craziness because hollywood portrays it that way and and it's actually not that way um so yeah I'm, i'm definitely not surprised by that i there have been times when i've tried to speak up about things um like being told yeah, here are the quadrants uh, that all of your students land in. Uh, if they're in quadrant one, then you just let them do their own thing. If they have help, they can seek it elsewhere. Or if they need help, they can seek it elsewhere. But you really need to focus on three and four um, and make sure that the fours have everything that they need. And I'm like, okay, those five kids right there, 
they literally never turn in homework. And I ask about all the time, follow up with parents, everything that I'm supposed to do. I've got documentation to prove it. And they don't do anything in class. What would you like me to do? And they're like, well, you need to try harder. I'm like, no, okay. The, yeah. the solutions you're giving me are not solutions that are going to work. And so I've, I've definitely butted heads with um, systems that, that don't operate uh, very well. So I, I appreciate you yeah. telling that story. That's, that's crazy. And I've had life experiences like that too, where it's like, I feel like I just need to buy my tongue right now. Definitely don't want to. Yep. Definitely not what I feel like doing, um, but okay. And then later I find out that something else happened. I'm like, oh, good thing I didn't say anything. Just <laughs> kind of yeah. hang back for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to know. Exactly. I, would, I would love to know who inspires you the most and just how. Probably a short answer, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think my mom does. Uh, my, my mother, uh, you know, I watched her literally lift us out of poverty um, and she used she used education in in the form of like her, her job but also like I, I remember watching my mom getting her master's degree like falling asleep on the couch like too tired to do anything else because yeah. she had work and in school um, and you know the thing I learned from her as I learned to hustle I learned to take care of my family and I learned to be exceptional right so that that's definitely dang dude that's powerful I was, Elizabeth's got her master's degree while we were married and she was pregnant, but definitely not with kids running around. I don't know that I could do that. That's impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing to watch. If you died tomorrow, what do you hope that people will say about you when you're gone? Man, I, I actually, it's funny. I thought about this question last week and I had this conversation with my best friend. Um, nice. I, 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 the first thing that I hope people say is like, man, that dude loved Jesus. Like, I, I, I want to be known as somebody who couldn't shut up about, about Jesus. Um, <laughs> like, e- even if they think it's a bad thing, like, gosh, he was annoying. He just kept talking to us. Like, I, I want that to be said to me. But the other thing is, I, I, I really would, I really want people to understand that most of what I do is, is, is actually, like, it is not as selfless as it seems like I'm trying to create the world that I want my children to grow up in. Um, because the, the, the second I had a child and a family, I experienced the type of love that I've never like understood before. Um, like I, I have four kids and a wife that like they're, they're my world. And, and so I am, I want people to, to, to say about me like that dude, like he did everything he could for his family. And the last thing is I want, I really do want to change the, change the way that, that school works. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to be in a textbook because I hope that those are all gone. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I just want my, you know, the idea, the, the work that I'm doing to keep living on, like I want to inspire other people to pick up this, this mantle and keep running with it. Like, I don't, I don't need the credit. I don't need somebody to like name a method or anything after me. I, I just, I just want to inspire enough people to, to say, you know what, I'm going to fight that fight too. And to keep it going because this problem is not going to be solved in my lifetime. Um, but uh, I, I hope somebody else will just pick up the torch and keep running. That's awesome. I, I, I freaking love that. Um, I, I've kind of thought the same thing about this podcast of, I hope that this spurs on other people 
to have genuine conversations and get to know their friends, like people that they already know, get to know them better because they realize, oh, I actually don't know, you know, in this case, I, I don't know Mike's background. I don't know where he grew mm-hmm. up. I just met him at church. And then that's where right. the, the relationship started. We didn't ever go backwards, you know, and I, I would yeah. love for that, that whole attitude to, to continue to, to grow. So, man, that's fantastic. I, I hope that you're successful too. And uh, that textbooks get thrown away. Cause let's be honest, everybody just reads five second articles anyway, or watches videos. Um, <laughs> uh, I would love to know, this is probably the most important question. Is it true that you collect shoes? <laughs> okay how, when and how did this start because i i'm always curious everybody has like their their clothing I, I guess for lack of a better term fetish like there's one type of clothing that you're just like oh my god that looks so sweet i gotta buy that now for me it's jackets right. but that doesn't make any sense because we live in texas um so would love to know where did the shoe thing come up and for those listening who don't know please tell us what kind of shoes you like to collect yeah, so I don't, I'm, I don't collect shoes the typical way that most people do. Uh, like I don't, I'm not a flipper anymore. I used to flip sneakers in, in high school. Um, like before there was like, before there was like stock X, like I used to buy them at a discount from my friend at Foot Locker and then sell them to kids at like, a, like a very large markup at school, like out of my locker. Um, but I, I started collecting sneakers because I couldn't do it as a kid. Like I, I, we never had the money to buy. Like I bought my first Mm -hmm. pair of Jordans when I was like 25. Um, actually, no, my father-in-law bought them for me. And so I was like, you know, I, I, I never had that, uh, as a kid. So when I was old enough to, and I had enough money to do it myself, I was like, you know what? I, I, I love, I've always loved footwear. I've always loved sneakers. Um, and now, so what, the type of shoes that I collect now is I collect and I wear them. I collect sneakers that from brands that people have never heard of. Um, because I like, I like things that are different. I like being different. And so for me, it's this cool, like, um, I think it's cool for somebody to like, you, you get, you get one of two reactions. Either people think that like you're wearing shoes from Walmart or, or they just like assume it's like this very expensive like designer brand. And in truth, the type of sneakers that I collect, the best way to think about it is like craft beer, right? Like yeah. a lot of guys like craft beer and they're like, I don't drink Budweiser because that's mainstream. Well, that like, I mean, I, I, I do like certain Nikes, but like I only have like five pair of Nikes in my collection. Um, and I have like 30 pairs of shoes um, and growing. Um, I, I like sneakers that tell it, you know, like I like sneakers to tell a story. Like right now I'm wearing these shoes from this brand that I love called. You, you, just cut, you cut out right when you said the brand name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from what brand? What Sorry. was it? So the brand is called Saya Collective. Um, and that stands for somewhere in America. It's a black owned brand, veteran owned brand. Um, these shoes are three M reflective, like the whole shoe. They glow in the dark. He has he has sneakers that like change colors in the sun, right? Like like crazy stuff. Um, another one of my favorite brands is Grace. Grace is a like a minimalist leather sneaker out of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, 
like beautiful sneakers. And then another one that you should, everybody should check out is We Are Underdogs. Uh, they take design that lost in the international sneaker design competition. Like crazy design, but really cool, really cool shoes. So I'm I'm definitely looking these up on Google right now. I got the Sia yeah. shoes and the We Are Underdogs. What was the other one? You named one between those two. It's called Grace. Grace, like hope, grace, no, love. Like, like, oh, you cut out there a little bit. I'll have to get that from you, and I'll I'll throw that up whenever I make this episode live, so we can support those companies okay. too. Um, especially yeah. the SIA one. I, I love that. I've also got the We Collective. Uh, I've got a shirt from them. Because you said oh, black, we, black that, and company. Yeah. yeah, I love their stuff. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get a tank top from them and they were sold out. I was jealous of Ben Roberts' tank top. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I love, I love all the <laughs> shoes, man. That's so cool. I, I read that on like a LinkedIn post or something and I thought, oh, yeah. I'm definitely bringing this up. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. What does a typical day in your profession look like? We're going to shift gears. And I know people are thinking he's a teacher, but they don't know you. So what does a typical day for you look like in your profession? Yeah, what's kind of crazy is that I'm actually like, uh, teacher is just the easiest way to describe it, but it's it's actually not what I do anymore. Um, So typically I I show up in, in a school building and, I don't know what this year will look like. It'll look different, but you know, up until up until today, uh, I, you know, like we, I, I I go to work at a school called Alpha. It's in downtown Austin. Um, it's in a building called LZR that, that used to be called Lizona Rosa, that was a concert venue where Prince and Willie Nelson, Nora Jones, they, they you know they've all, yeah, thank you. You know, and, and so uh, I, you know, help kids set goals, help help them meet their goals. Our kids, they work on they work on uh, online apps for the first two hours of the day, and then after that's done, you know, kids have lunch, and then I I will start teaching like a workshop, which is the closest thing to think about as an elective class, but instead of an entire subject that you're trying to cover, you're just covering one skill. Um, it's it's more effective to just isolate the skill you want to teach and 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 target that. So like yeah. one of the workshops that I that I taught is is like actually like how to flip things on eBay. So the the only way you can pass the workshop and get credit for it is if you make over five hundred bucks. Um, we the school we buy you your first product, and you have to keep flipping. Um, and we have all these exercises that we do. So yeah, like I'm teaching workshop. I leave. Um, on my commute home, I'm like on phone calls, like dreaming and scheming, like doing a, you know, you know, strategizing and trying to figure out how to how to keep working on this problem. Um, the you know the thing about where I work is Alpha is not a very diverse school, and so I I put in the work to help vulnerable populations outside of that building because we're currently not doing it. Um, Wow. And we'll, and we're getting there. We're going to open three new campuses by fall 2021. One of them is going to be tuition free. Um, I, I actually just, I wrote the, the three-year plan of the school. 
people to pursue equity, inclusion, diversity. And so we're getting there, but I, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm on phone calls and then I get home and I give as much attention and energy as I can to my kids and my wife. Um, and, and then when they go to bed, I record a podcast. <laughs> I record my podcast and I, uh, I, I build my personal brand online. And that is, that's like an understatement, build your personal brand, man. I, I would say you are the number one name and face that I see when I pull up LinkedIn, uh, no matter the time of day, no matter what day it is, um, it is, you're the, the one that I see the most. And I, I don't, I don't click on everything that you post. So I know it's not like some algorithmic, you, you go and read everything that Mike Yates puts out anything like that. I, I just, you're constantly on there and I, I respect that grind, man. I, I make about one post, maybe two a day during the week. Uh, and, and that's about yep. it. Strictly, strictly for me, it's because the weekends are for family time. And so I, I try to keep it yep. to that, but man, yeah, I, I highly respect what you're putting out and you always end it with a question. Typically, I, I would say from the post I saw you end it with a question uh, to engage. Yeah, I tried to. But that's that's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you saying that because I'm using LinkedIn. Like, people think it's odd that, like, you work in education and you're on LinkedIn. But I, I use it to, to – I literally use LinkedIn as data to build student workshops. So, like, I am trying to build this workshop right now where you – I'm taking old – like, like – products on Shark Tank that failed. Oh yeah. That I saw either they, yeah. Like either they didn't get a deal or like they sucked. And, um, I am trying to have kids like pitch the product better than the original founder. So I just like went to LinkedIn and was like, like, I don't, I don't have a, as much experience pitching people as, as some of these folks on LinkedIn. So the beautiful thing about that platform is that it's all organic. So, I post that question and I can get 10,000 views and 50 answers. And, and from those answers, I made the list that's going to be the rubric for that workshop. Um, and then, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, like David Meltzer, who's, he's an investor and he's on a television show called one minute elevator pitch. Like I oh, tagged yeah. him in yeah. it. He, like he ends up hitting me up in my, in the DM and is now going to like, like zoom into the workshop with the kids. Right. And, and so, no big deal. It's casual. <laughs> That's well, awesome. I, well, like, but it, like I, I tell teachers all the time, like if you are a teacher, get on LinkedIn and start using it because that, like that, that place is the key to create really special experiences for students because you can access people that you couldn't access before. Right. Like, I mean, like we, I had a student that gave us, she gave a speech last year about positivity and optimism. And I was like, look, Gary Vee has shoes that literally say the words positivity and optimism on the shoe. So she like Love goes on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, she goes on LinkedIn as a 13 year old, contacts some dude from his office and Gary didn't send them, but he signed them and they sent her the shoes. And so it's That's like, so cool. Like, like she, yeah, she's much more motivated to crush the project of speech because she has that, so it's like LinkedIn is like a powerful tool. And it, it, the other thing that I'm doing on LinkedIn is, and I, I don't make any, I don't keep this a secret even at work is I am, I am documenting what I'm doing so that I can claim my IP because everything that I create, it, it, in, in theory, it technically belongs to my school. Um, 
and unless I figure out how to brand it myself and claim that intellectual property for me. So, uh, because there will be a next place for me. I will not be at alpha for the rest of my career. And, and I, I want that next place to find me and me not have to find it. So I am creating a running record of the value that I'm, that I'm bringing to that school. That's incredible. I know that on one of your interviews or something, you, you had talked about um, how even from the age of like 12, which is sixth grade for those that aren't, don't know that from the age of 12, yeah. uh, we should be teaching students to, to start creating their own uh, brand online yeah. and, and to really, really what you're, you're arguing for is that as adults, we shouldn't just like be hands off and then blame them when they use it wrong. We should instead f help them to frame their mind around it in the correct, appropriate way. And then that actually sets them up for success in life, which I'm all for. I, I, again, it's a soapbox topic of put the responsibility back on the students to do it right. But you have to give them the guideposts and the guide rails because they, they don't exist in their minds. They don't have the life experience that we have. So they can't, you can't set a bunch of like a buffet in front of a, a teenage boy and expect him to eat only the healthy stuff. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. So, yeah. And I, I mean, the typical response from parents and, and, and teachers when they find something that can be potentially damaging to a kid is to, to take it away. And, and that, that logic a lot of people believe is that, like that's just a smart thing to do. Well, yeah. Here's spend thing, enough like, time around kids, you'll know that's not the correct answer. Right, exactly. I read this article like maybe a year or two ago, and this lady was like, "I give my seventh graders power tools, and like, and I walk away." And and what she was talking about is like, look, the only reason why you think that it's dangerous to give seventh graders power tools is because you're unwilling to teach them how to use the tool. And yeah. and I think of social media in the same way. Like, here's the truth. Like, there are 12-year-old girls on TikTok that are, that are, like, that are doing inappropriate dances. And there's 15-year-olds on Instagram that are, that are using Instagram for awful purposes. There are kids bullying each other online. But that's because we've given them a phone and we've let them have access to the app without showing them what they could do with the app. And I, I believe, yeah. and, and I, I'm, I'm also, like, like, I don't, there's no science behind the age 12 i just know i, I i've got 12 year olds that have cell phones and if, yep. if you're old enough to have a cell phone you're old enough to understand that the messaging that you create it goes much farther than you think it does um and 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 you i mean like obviously like the last time i i posted about that somebody was like what does a 12 year old have to say about the world well mm. why don't you go ask a 12 year old yeah, exactly. There's a lot to say about the world. Um, and, and so I, I just think they can use it to, to create influence. I know I'm supposed to be interviewing you. This is one thing that I have to speak up about because you and I definitely resonate on this. Um, back when I taught at Elgin Middle School, uh, going into my second year, uh, when for whatever crazy reason, they made me department head. Um, but and then, and then like a couple weeks, a few weeks before the school year started, they wanted me to rewrite the eighth grade curriculum for social studies. Nice. Well, crash course on everything having to do with social studies in eighth grade. Anyway, but I was also on the technology committee or whatever to decide if we should go one-to-one -one where every student has an iPad. 
And some of the things you're bringing up right now are some of the exact arguments that were brought up against the one-to-one initiative. And I was saying basically what you are, which is they're going to have devices at some point in their life. Why not give it to them now and then help them learn how to use it? And think about how much easier our jobs as teachers would be when we literally give it, I use the guide rails word intentionally, but we give them guide rails and then say, go for it, figure it out on your own. Like if you're curious about it, go discover it. If you have a question, research it. Research doesn't have to be some taboo word that every middle schooler gags when they hear research project. Like it's just curiosity and then pursuit of the facts and the knowledge. So if you're curious about something, let me teach you the guide rails and then have at it. And then actually when I taught sixth grade, this would have been my fourth year teaching. So a little bit difference of uh, perspective and maturity as a a teacher, but (laughs) about one, about halfway through the first semester, I made a rule that you are not allowed to come ask me for help if you have not searched for it yourself first. Yeah. And I just start, and I would put that on my students. And I actually joked with my mom the other day um, because she teaches choir. So she's around students still. And I said, I actually got, it got to the point where the, the really smart kids who were like, they knew they were smart and they would like, they like to be sarcastic with me if they could. Uh, they would just walk up with their computer open and show me the Google search. And they'd say, I've searched for five minutes. I can't find anything. And then I'm all for it. I'm like, yeah, let me help you out. Let me see what I can do to help. But those kids knew how to use their technology. Whereas other teachers who wanted to complain all the time and wanted to say, kids don't know how to use technology. They don't understand how to use technology. I'd go into their class and they're constantly getting on to their students about playing games on their laptop. Right. So I'm with you. And for anybody listening just teach them how to use the power tools. Don't just get mad when they chop off a limb. Big metaphor, not saying you should let their kids <laughs> chop off limbs. <laughs> Definitely a metaphor. Um, but I, I love, I'm totally on board with that. And I, I loved when I read that from you, I was like, ooh, man, after my own heart, let the kids use the technology because they're going to get after it one way or another, whether you want them yep. to or not. So just better to be there for them. What would you say is your greatest professional accomplishment so far or at all? Hmm. I, I actually think my greatest professional accomplishment um, is there. I had a, I had a student years ago uh, I, when I was teaching. I was teaching in Fort Worth, um, and I had this kid who he told me one day he's like, "I hate school," and I was like, "Yeah, me too." Um, <laughs> and he said, uh, "He's." He was like, I don't want to go to college um, at all, but they, everyone here tells me I have to go to college. And I was like, okay, well, what's your, what's, what's your plan? Like, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to cut hair. He's like, I'm really, really good at cutting hair. And I was like, well, how do I know you're good at cutting hair? Like, like you tell me you're good at cutting hair, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. Right. And then he starts pointing kids out in the hallway. He's like, you see that kid? He's like, I, I cut his hair in the bathroom this morning. And so I called the kid over. He's like, yeah, Nathan, Nathan cuts my hair. He charges me five. Dang. Like what? I find out this kid's running this underground barbershop in the bathroom at a school. And if you've ever been in a public school boys bathroom, especially Bro. in an old building, I was like, dude, you cannot keep cutting hair in the bathroom. 
Yeah, not sanitary. He's like, well, where else can I do it? So my biggest professional accomplishment is that I let Nathan Hernandez in the sixth grade run a barbershop out of my classroom um, in the mornings and after school. And we made such a compelling case together that the principal allowed us to do it. That's awesome. I love every bit of that. Because you know that kid, like, you fostered his desire. And and now, I mean, that – Gosh, I, I don't want to get off on another other tangent. I'll just say that's amazing. Um, I had a yeah. kid who said he wanted to use Minecraft for a project. Knee-jerk reaction is no. you know. But right. he said, I want to use Minecraft. And one of my options for this like semester-long project or whatever it was, uh, six weeks, something like that, uh, was you know, here are three options. Or fourth, you can come ask me if you have a creative idea. So he said, can I use Minecraft? This is like a literally doesn't make below a 95 on anything kind of student. So I'm curious. I'm like, what's your plan? So cut to the chase. I end up letting him do it. I'm like, whatever, we'll try it. And if anybody gives you grief about it, another teacher or something, you send them to me. And uh, he ends up creating a historically accurate representation of Jamestown complete with swamp textures uh, as like an ammo. What, what is it called? Like an armory. He has the infirmary. He has the bunk houses. He has the wall completed. And then he had all these resources where he said, yeah, well, none of them had like a complete picture. So I kind of had to like piece together historically what was accurate versus a drawing. And the dude did his homework and he got to put it up on the big screen and literally walk us through virtually literally walk us through Jamestown. And all of a sudden, all the kids are interested in Jamestown, and they're interested in history. Right. And I'm like, why did we not do this sooner? That's awesome. Right, that's amazing. I love that, man. <laughs> I would love to know what what is Guide. I know we're kind of closing up on time here, um, but a big deal of what you're a part of right now is Guide. So I'd love to know, without me saying any more, walk me through how Guide came to be, and just let the audience know what it is in your own words. Yeah, yeah. So very, actually, interesting story. I'm I'm actually. Uh, I'm actually no longer working on the project. I'm not working on guide anymore. Oh. Um, but there's a, there's a good reason for it. Um, and I'll, and okay. it, it is a part of our story. So guide started out as a, as a way to teach life skills through micro video to high school students. Um, a great friend of mine, um, his name is Tim Salau. Tim is, uh, he's literally branded himself as Mr. Future of Work. Um, but uh, he, he was, Tim was formerly the, the uh, global chief evangelist for WeWork. So, you know, at, at, I guess at WeWork's height, his, his job was literally to go all over the world and get people excited about this brand and to teach them about the future of work. Um, so, so Tim truly is an expert in people. He's an expert in connection. He's an expert in future work. And, and so he and I met through LinkedIn. He was working with uh, our other co-founder, Taban. Um, and for the first three months of this project, none of us were ever in the same room. We had never met face-to-face. Uh, we, we built this business from meeting on LinkedIn. Um, and so uh, you know, essentially, we, we were like, we want to leverage what TikTok is doing, but use it for education. And, and we knew that, that TikTok's EduTalk platform we knew that they created that in India. And so we were kind of at this point where we were like, we, we want to beat them to the U S market with this, like sort of like sneaky plan to get acquired. Um, <laughs> there you go. So, 
yeah, like, it was like, look, like, we don't want to, like, we don't want to fight you. We want to give you what we are, give you the data and the use that we already have. Um, but as time went on and we started to, like, as TikTok started to move faster, we started to realize, like, the market may not, they may not need this product yet. Um, so as a group, we decided to pivot to be a B2B platform. And this is what Guide is today. It's a B2B platform where remote teams can train their employees. Um, we started to see this niche maybe five months in to working on the project, project where you could essentially, if you're a hiring manager or if you were the head of a department or whatever, you can get on this app, you can create training modules that take no less than, you know, each module takes no less than 90 seconds, right? Like for those types of tasks, those, those, you know, those little checklist items, you can create those videos, you can put them in the app and new hires can go to the app and they can learn these things and rewatch them over and over and over again. Um, there cool. is a very, yeah, there's a very specific market for that. So we made that pivot and I am particularly not interested in a B2B project or product. I don't, I don't care about training remote teams. Um, and I, I wrote this manifesto for myself seven years ago. And I, I made a promise to myself that if this thing is not education, I will not work on it because I will not allow that to take time away from my family. Um, I believe God put me on this earth in, in this field, in education and in this fight. And so I, I told them, I was like, guys, I love y'all. I'm supporting you, um, but I got to go. Like, like we should make this pivot because it's smart and it's right, but I can't work on this project because I got to go do other things. And so um, I left and that, that actually led me to start the reinvention lab effort and, and some other things that I'm working on. Like the podcast, right? Because I know from what yep. I could tell, the podcast isn't that old, right? No, the podcast is one month old. Um, what a baby. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, yeah, like I, I launched the podcast and uh, I, well, the, the largest motivation for launching the podcast was uh, later on this year, I'm going to be teaching a podcasting workshop and I have a problem with like business professors that have never run a successful business. So yeah. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but I've also always had this ambition to start a podcast. And so uh, it's good for a lot of reasons. But yeah, like, like the podcast was one of those projects. Um, and I also like spending more time with my family um, is, is, is also one, one, it wasn't one of the reasons why I love it, but it's definitely one of the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, having a podcast is uh, a lot more work than people make it seem. <laughs> yep. Man. I've got two more questions and then we'll, we'll cut to encouragement and just and, uh, head out from there. But uh, it's kind of like a, what's the problem and then what's the solution type of setup. Um, so yeah. I don't know if you saw the questions ahead of time, you'll know what I mean. But the, what do you think is the most injurious aspect of conventional education or you, you call it industrial education? And some examples would be like the physical setting limitations of yeah. the schedule you know you don't have room to let kids continue on the project that they're working on or like technology limits or even just the mental uh yep. box that they put around a kid's mind you know what what do you think is the most injurious aspect of that it's a it's the box it's it's the mentality right i think the big the biggest issue uh um in the in the industrial school system or the traditional school system um is is that everybody thinks about school in the same way. 
Um, if, if you walk, a, you know, if you're in a room full of a thousand, 10,000 people and you say, close your eyes and picture your school. And like, you could describe almost any school in the United States. And I would actually argue almost any school in the world. Um, the, the unique thing about being online and, and so visible is that I've had a chance to have conversations with people from Canada and from Israel, and from Africa, and from France, and from like all over the world, Australia. And, and the school experience is very similar no matter where you are in the world. Wow. Um, and so everybody thinks about school in the same way. And because of that, you have these very, very limited, uh, like the messaging that goes to students is limited, the types of um, projects, work, content, delivery, like the product that the student gets is, is the same. It's just, it's just the wrapping paper just looks different, right? Like, um, yeah, no kidding. I'm watching people, yeah, like I, I'm watching people every day get hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok for teaching people how to change the background on a Google slide. Like, 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 that's look, like, that's, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, like by all means, like use Google slides for, for all the, all that it's worth. Right. Like, but uh, the, the perfect example I'll give you of this. I, I actually, with a group of people, I approach, we approached Google very aggressively a couple months ago. And we said, look, like now is the time for you to launch a school, like not Google classroom, not like they launched this like conference that was really boring called the anywhere school. Like, like the anywhere school needs to be a physical building that Google launches that also has a virtual option and we will build it for you. And Google's response was, no, we're not interested in building a school. We want to build tools that support the existing systems. And I said to them that that is why you are damaging education because you are creating tools to support a hundred year old system, not to change the system. And I think that so it's, it's the mindset. Everybody thinks about school in the same way. I'm sure they love that response from you, just for the record. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that You're the problem. Not happening. <laughs> yeah. School will not happen. It's, uh, yep. Google probably will not even talk to me again. <laughs> with that, so with that side of the coin, the opposite side would be then, what does the best, the best future of education look like to you? And I, and I want to qualify that question. You've, discussed a lot of ways that you're trying to change education into something that frankly, like you said, you would want your kids to go to and be a part of. So let's say your endeavors pay off and it starts to shift all of society in America first and then elsewhere, ideally because we we live here, you know, uh, so we'd want to have our kids go in there. But let's say starting America going elsewhere, what would then that future look like? Maybe play it out in a professional capacity, home life, the way we interact with our own kids, even outside of a classroom or a typical setting. So what does that future look like? Yeah, I I think that uh, education suffers from a lack of of options. I think the, the future that I hope to see is one where there are so many different kinds of excellent schools that no child finds themselves out of place. The, the reason why kid, any kid would hate school is because that school is not teaching in a way that that child best receives or best learns. Um, and so I, I think, uh, and you know, I'm hoping that 
that more uh, like new and fresh and crazy models of school start to, I hope people start building them. Um, and I want to help people build those new and crazy models of school so that, I mean, like, if you think about this, uh, most of the conversations around education are um, angry people complaining about a specific system and, and how it's damaging to the others. Right. So yep. if you, pr if you over privatize education, it kills public school. If you, if school choice passes, then you have vouchers that kills your public schools. Charter schools yep. are, are damaged when private schools move next door, right? Like, like, and, and maybe that's true, but if, if you think about it, like, like any other consumer product, cars, shoes, right? Like, like, but mainly Nike shoes. Is, right. Yeah. Mainly <laughs> shoes. Right. Like, uh, but like, if, if you think about like shoes or, or like clothes, like jackets, or if you think about like, potato chips like ladies like nobody is, is standing in the middle of target like why do you have these lays and doritos on the same shelf nobody's doing that like everybody's yeah. just choosing what they like best and so i i think the the future of education should be the system uh of of schools both public private charter independent for-profit non-profit whatever the designation has to be but those schools should respond to the needs of that community. So like we're getting ready at Alpha to build three campuses, three new schools in, in three new cities. And, and the, the conversation we keep going back to is those schools are going to have to be fundamentally different than our school in Austin. Because if we build a school in Houston, we, there's a different set of challenges and beliefs and a different set of like people, a, a, a different yeah. demographic, you know, so, so, I, th I think that's the lens. And I, I also think the last thing I'll say about this is I think that no, uh, we have to erase the ego. Like I would hope that the future of education, like, like I hope the ego of education is gone. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, you know, it would be very easy for us at alpha to have, uh, to have a lot of ego, right? Because we, we had, I argue the best learning program in the, in the country because we were ready. Uh, we were equipped, we're set up for it. And people don't know this, but we actually, like, it was, it was surely, it was an accident. We started building a remote learning program in September of 2019. So, that's like, awesome. We, Dang. Yeah, like, like we could have shut up on the internet and said, like, what are you guys doing? Like, you just do what we're doing. But because the, the director of our school does a really great job, of, of meeting our staff by saying like, look, have no ego about this. We have not figured this out. Do not like, like he literally said, don't go posting online about how great our program is going. Don't tell anybody how good it's going. I, I think education needs more of that. We have too many people that are claiming to be gurus and experts and, and selling online courses and, and, and pushing this one method of learning that it, we, we, we got to yeah. get rid of that. And everybody has to be open enough to learn. Yeah, I think more of the the angle of like, hey, I had this idea. So if you want to use it, here mm -hmm. you go. You know that kind of thing. Yep. Because I what's crazy, yep, exactly. and and I I swear this is not arrogance coming up. This is more just like I you know it's that idea of I had an idea, so I shared it, and then come to find out it's part of like Kagan strategies or something. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> so the 
the way I used to set up my classroom was I'd have like groups of four desks put together and they'd be numbered one, one, three, two, four, uh, left, right, top to bottom. So one, three, two, four. Yeah. And the idea was I would then break up, uh, based on like the, I'd start with the past test scores or whatever. And then I'd, I'd move once I had my own grades, I'd break up every, every roster of a classroom into four groups. And then I'd place them at, at tables, you know, one through four. Right. Um, and oh, yeah. the, the idea was that they could teach each other, but then I would also look at their personalities as I learned them or I asked about other teachers and I, you know, if two kids are really quiet, well then I might put a one that talks a little bit more, but is gentle next to the quiet yeah. one and, and work out that way. And man, I had the least amount of behavior problems because kids would self-regulate because they'd have students next to them that had strengths that maybe they didn't. But anyway, the, the point there is I had this idea. So I started sharing it around to all my other teachers, just thinking like, Hey, I know you said you were having this issue. Have you thought about this? And they're like, Oh, well, no, I, I, I don't want to do that because you know, this is what I would know. So I'm going to, going to navigate it. And it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> do, right. do whatever right. you want. And then I go to this Kagan strategy and he starts talking about how you should group the tables in groups of four and you should do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, that's, I, that's what I was doing, you know, but then suddenly it's this novel idea and everybody wants to try it out. And then they come to me and they're like, haven't you been doing this for a while? Yes. And I've been trying to right. share with everybody. Like we didn't have to pay to go to Kagan. I'm not saying I have all the right answers, but it at least was working, you know? And you've right. got the same kids. So yep. I don't understand why we didn't just try this out first. So I, I'm, exactly. I'm with you. I would love to know what encourage, this is the, the end here. I always like to end with some encouragement. Um, I, I want people to leave these episodes feeling like they actually gained something by just listening yeah. into our conversation. Uh, so talk to the audience for a second. What encouragement would you give to those listening, whether it's parents and teachers who right now are trying to help students succeed, despite whether the, the teacher's situation, maybe they feel the same way that we've been talking about, or parents stuck at home trying to figure out how to do education in quarantine. What encouragement would you give to people that are listening? Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that you do this, by the way. Um, Thanks, man. The, encur yeah, the, the encouragement that I would give uh, to, to everybody is, is that no one, no one knows no one like everybody's figuring it out right? like <laughs> big like, facts you know yeah like there's no blueprint for this and 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 you have to do what's best for your people um and so if you are a teacher right now and you have to go back to school in person or you're doing virtual school or whatever it is like your administrator might be trying to be strong they might be portraying themselves like they have all the answers but they don't your district doesn't have the answer. Your school leader doesn't have the answer. Everybody's figuring this out. Everybody's experimenting. And you should know that like, even if you don't feel like you're the greatest teacher right now, that you are in the fight for the right reason, that you're in a good fight. And, and I think parents should know that they, parents should stop listening. My encouragement is that they just stop listening to uh, people on the internet. And, and if you feel like homeschool is right, those are your children that, that God has blessed you with right now. So you should do what's best for your children. If you feel like they need to go back to school, send them back to school, right? Like feel no shame about what you have to do to take care of your family. Um, and and I, I, I just think like we, we, we got to find a way forward together. 
And that's going to come from us not shaming each other and, and for us truly trying to do what's best for the next person and ultimately for, for our people. Nothing else needs to be said right now. That was, that was perfect. I, <laughs> I greatly appreciate that. I, I wish that people would be more encouraging to one another rather than critical of one another. And even what yeah. you, the example you gave of like the Lay's versus Doritos and, and that sort of thing, which just ask Elizabeth, my wife, I, I speak in metaphors and figurative language all the time and it used to drive her crazy, but now she figured if I just hang on long enough, he'll get back to the real thing he was talking about. But uh, <laughs> I love that, that metaphor because it's so true. And we see it a lot in politics too, which I'm not getting off on that tangent. It'd be really easy to do, but we see it a lot in politics where there's not actually substance to what somebody wants to talk about. It's their, their argument is, well, that person or that thing is wrong and here's why. Not that right. they had a solution, just I'm going to point out what's wrong with their idea. And that isn't, it's self-destructive. Like nobody wins in that case. Uh, so right. I like that you're trying to take a step out of that and just say, could we all just breathe for a second and just listen to what everybody's ideas are? And if, if you have an idea that's working, fantastic. If you have an idea that's working, good on you, man. And, and even what you, you just did. So this is, I guess, a really big compliment to you. Uh, even what you just did with your encouragement, you told parents and teachers, like, you're doing the best you can. So keep doing that. Yeah. And, and don't let anybody, you know, judge you for what your, your decision is because you know your family. The, the mm -hmm. state government doesn't know your family. Sometimes even your relatives don't know your family. Your friends don't know your family. So just do what's in the best interest of your family. And I, I love that. And I really appreciate your encouragement. So hope you take that compliment. You got the right mindset. You're doing things right. Uh, and I, I really appreciate your time being on my show, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, last but not least, how can people connect with you? You've mentioned LinkedIn a number of times. Uh, I know that you've got a website. What are some ways that people can connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the number one way. Um, I'm also trying to be on Twitter more. I like Twitter a lot now. Um, my Twitter handle is at just Mike Yates, like J-U-S-T-M-I-K-E-Y-A-T-E-S. I am the most popular Mike Yates on LinkedIn, which I take pride in because it was hard to get there. This is a lot of people <laughs> with that name. <laughs> so if Clawed you, your way to the top. <laughs> yeah, so if you just search my name on there. Um, and then my website is yatesmike.com. Um, it's got all, you can find my podcast through, through there as well. I'm, I'm marking all these down and I will make sure that the people know how to get in yeah. touch with you. So hopefully you, you remain at the top as the most popular Mike Yates on LinkedIn. You yeah, can... I'm not going down. The other guys are slacking. <laughs> you know, I used to think that my name Micah was like really unique. And then when I tried to change my email address to like Micah Brown or heck, even my Instagram handle to yeah. something Micah Brown, I found out I'm in fact not unique and there's actually a lot of Micah Browns. So, there are a lot of them, yeah. Yep, yep. And same, same with my brother. It's just when you have the last name Brown, geez. Oh my gosh. There, there's a, I have a student named Nathan Brown. And, I'm not and surprised. every time, and yeah, like every time, I will text like every time Nathan, like your brother will text me. I'm like, how did Nathan, how did this kid get my number? 
And I'm like, oh, this is not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reaction could still be the same. How does this kid get my number? You know? <laughs> Who's sending me a book to read? Oh, it's a text. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because my brother is probably the most popular guest on this show who's never been a guest on this show the amount of people who have referenced my brother uh when talking about other people or other things they're like yeah your brother the other and it's it's not like critical stuff i I think the person who's probably made the most sarcastic comments about him would probably be kivan which is understandable (laughs) but uh but most of the time it's complimentary and it's just like yeah i should probably go ask your brother about that so maybe i just need to bite the bullet and have him on here maybe i'll learn something about him I, I no, that would be a cool thing to like never have him on, but always have him mentioned. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> People start like Googling Nathan Brown and they end up getting your student instead yeah. of him or something. <laughs> you know? right, like, like, it should be a thing. You should like, what you like, yeah, like get your listenership to be like, yeah, you should figure out who this guy is. People keep talking about it. Yeah, exactly. He ends up becoming Insta famous and he doesn't even know it. He's like, dude, I well, keep yeah. getting these random messages from people that I don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well mike i appreciate your time i know you you were carving this out weaving this in the middle of your busy day so i really appreciate your time and uh, i look forward to having more conversations with you man yeah thank you man Stay here. take care brother all right well that was a fantastic conversation with mike yates uh the professor actually i don't know if you would take that as a compliment or an insult but um the guide if you will uh mike yates man Fantastic human being. I have heard some of his poetry before. He is, in fact, really good at poetry. One thing he didn't mention at all, and I'm going to call him out on it, is that he can sing really well, too. Uh, At our church, I sing, he sings, I play drums, he sings, he does poetry. Uh, But he's he's just a great guy all around, and I I can't speak highly enough about him. So um, you definitely should go check out his website. Check him out on Twitter, LinkedIn, as he said, and I've noticed he is very active on LinkedIn. So if you're a professional in some capacity and you're on LinkedIn, you should definitely reach out and connect to him. Let him know that you heard him on the Michael Brown podcast uh, so that he at least has some frame of reference for where you're coming from. Last but not least, education is very important. Everything that he talked about and I talked about on this episode, education is highly important. So I encourage you, uh, if there's a book that you've been waiting to read and you want to listen to it because you listen to podcasts, so you're probably a listener, uh, go to audibletrial.com forward slash MBP. Get your free 30-day trial of Audible. Start reading up uh, by listening and, and get yourself some knowledge. Maybe you're curious about some topic. I mean, who's stopping you? Go read a book about it. (laughs) Be amazing in that way. Uh, And again, uh, as always, stay cool, stay hungry, stay happy, and eat some Thelma's ice cream sandwiches. I cannot recommend them enough. I look forward to our next conversation with you guys. Y'all take care.